0: Okay, we're going to take a look at God's Word now. If you have a Bible, please turn to Galatians chapter two, and we're going to be looking at verses, 11, I'm sorry, fifteen through twenty-one as we continue our sermon series called "Astonished." We've been looking uh, at what Paul writes to us in the book of Galatians, his letter to the Galatians. If you're going to use one of the Bibles that we provide underneath the chairs, it's on page eleven fifty-two. Galatians 2, uh, sorry, I keep saying that. Galatians two, fifteen through 21. Hear now God's holy and inspired word. The Apostle Paul writes, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If and while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, once again, we are coming to you. We ask you now to fill us with your spirit and give us Uh, eyes to see and ears to hear that we would see the magnitude and the majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ in this text that none of us would leave here the same. We know that your word does not return to you void. And so we claim those promises that there would be no void of transformation this morning. Make us uh, more like your son by what we see here and by what we learn about your grace and about righteousness. We lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing a series. We've been in this series for several weeks now. We're looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians. And now we get to this passage, which is uh, probably one of the most passages in Galatians and the New Testament and the Bible. Uh, this is what we're understanding here in one sense is really what the whole Bible is seeking to teach us. So this is big. And uh, in order to set our hearts in the right place, I want to show you something uh, that you really long for, whether you realize it or not. And I want to do it by asking you this question. What does it say of a culture where it is becoming increasingly unacceptable to suggest that Something someone else believes or does is wrong. What does it say about a culture where anybody who suggests that somebody else is wrong or something somebody else is wrong is met with almost an attack? What does it say? What does it tell us? Because you, you've seen this. We see this in our culture. If you say what you believe to be true, and if that means that someone else is wrong, you, you're going to get some attack. We've seen it happening. So if we can tell that the idea of us hearing that we're wrong is so offensive to us, then what is it that we crave so much? Being right. We as human beings. Desperately want to feel as if we're right what we're doing is right. It's good and the reason that we uh, Long for that rightness so to speak is because we don't want any fear of judgment We don't want anybody telling us we're wrong because if we're wrong then perhaps we deserve some sort of condemnation And we don't want that what we want is to be right We want some sort of rightness and there's really two ways That human beings tend to go about this Number one is we uh, have a tendency to sort of jump onto a, a set of rules or regulations and then try to do those things and therefore say, because I do these things and I don't do those things, I'm right. I'm in the right. I have rightness. Uh, another way is to, uh, and this is what we see so commonly in our culture now, is we see that people, uh, will human beings will try to make their own rules or say that they get to define what is right. You can't tell me what's right or wrong. I will decide for myself what's right. But notice that the emphasis is still on being right. Having rightness. Okay? Now, the biblical way to understand that word, we would call it righteousness. That's what people are really longing to have. They want to know that they have righteousness, that they have done things right, because that means they don't. Deserve any condemnation or judgment. So, I have good news for you and me who really long to feel as if we are right or that we have rightness. Uh, Here it is, gospel fact for this week. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God gives what every human being has desperately wanted since the fall of mankind, and that is righteousness. The declaration that you are righteous. That is what we receive by faith. That is what we're going to be talking about today. Every single human being is craving for this, whether they realize it or not. So we've got good news today. I want to. Here's the outline. If you're taking notes, you can break it into these sections. Here's what we're going to talk about. Three things. One, we've got to talk about the chronology of the gospel. Chronology is a big word uh, for the kids in the room for the order of events. What happened first, second, third, stuff like that. Uh, second, we're going to talk about a big challenge for the gospel. When you understand the gospel, it presents a pretty interesting question. We'll, we'll, Paul addresses that question. We'll look at it. Third, we'll talk about being changed by the gospel. Okay, chronology challenge and change. Let's jump in. I want to remind you, please keep your Bibles open. I would love to see you looking at the scriptures and seeing what we're looking at directly with your own eyes, especially since we're going to walk right through this text, okay? We're going to let Paul do the talking here. Uh, Look at uh, 15 and 16 to start. Let's talk about the chronology. Uh, 15 starts, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, starting now 16, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. This seems like a very jumbled, convoluted way of saying something three times, doesn't it? Now, we're going to see why he does that. Uh, Look, though, here's the thing I want you to realize. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection permanently justified. Everyone who believes, and we receive that justification, we receive that declaration of righteousness by faith. That's what Paul is getting at here. Okay? And if you'll notice here, uh, a couple things. First, I want to give you a definition so that we understand what I'm saying, what the Bible's saying when we talk about being justified. A person who is justified is ultimately declared to be righteous. But included in that would have to be the forgiveness of sins for people like us who are sinners, or all people. Okay, So when somebody is declared righteous, you know that they've also had their unrighteousness removed from their record, so to speak. And what we're seeing here is that all of the removal of our unrighteousness, as well as all the addition of righteousness, all comes from Jesus. 0% comes from us. We don't do anything to cause us to be forgiven We don't do anything to earn righteousness. It's all a gift from Jesus. So, and we'll understand this more and more as we move through the passage. But justification is being both completely forgiven of all your sin as well as being declared righteous. And so having that status of righteousness. Okay? Um, next, I want to show you why Paul says three things, or says these three things, all these three times. Okay, if you notice in verse 16, he mentions Christ three times, he mentions faith three times, he mentions the law three times, he mentions justified three times. Why? This is not Paul's adventure in redundancy. Uh, this is Paul's way of making this particular verse jump off the page and slap you in the face if necessary to get your attention. If you were sending me an email and in it you were going to have a sentence that was so important, it was a matter of life and death, you might do a few things to that sentence, right? You might put it in bold. You might put it in bold and italics. You might put it in bold, italics, and underline it. You might highlight it. You might put it in all caps. You might expand the font size to 50 or something like that, which don't do because my computer screen isn't big enough. But you would do something to make it stand out because it's so important. That's what he's doing. That's why he says this three times. But that's not the only reason. Okay? Uh, He also is setting us up to see something really powerful. We'll get there. Okay. Now, it has been and probably will be uh, not very frequent that I sort of go all academic. But we're going to parse some verbs this morning. And all the students at RTS are like, dude, I do that all week. Okay, that's my life. Um, but we need to parse the word justified. It appears three times. I want to look at it. If you don't understand what I'm saying when I'm saying parse the verb, I'm going to teach you about the different aspects that we draw out of how Paul wrote these words. Because Jesus will shine a bit brighter with every aspect that we understand. Okay. So I want to show you this. I want you looking right at the text. Here we go. Um, There's three times at the beginning of verse 16, at the middle of 16 and at the end of 16, we see the word justify. And what I'm going to do now is I want to parse the first and the third appearance, and then we'll go to the second, third. Sorry, that's awkward. So am I. Okay, here we go. Um, Uh, Looking at the first form of the word justified, he says, we know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Okay, now if you're going to break that down, here's what they do over at the seminary so that we can have a good, accurate translation. Um, It is in the third person singular. That's why he says no man, no individual, no person. It is in the present tense. So he's talking about something current. It is in the middle voice if you have when you're looking at verbs verbs either have a active middle or passive voice it's it's probably it's not like it sounds if it's an active verb it's something i'm doing i throw a ball if it's a passive verb it's something done to me a ball was thrown to me and i drop it cuz i'm not good at sports if it's middle uh, then it is something that somebody does but they really do it for themselves with me okay Uh, So this is in the middle voice and it's in the indicative mood. That just means it's a fact. Okay, put that all together. Here's what you get. What Paul is saying here is that no individual should consider himself or herself to be righteous because of the things that they're doing presently. No individual should look at what they're doing, the things that they do day by day, week by week, and therefore consider themselves to be righteous. Okay. Jump down to the third, third appearance of the verb justified, uh, where Paul says, by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now look at this. Let me parse this for you. Um, it is third person singular again. So no individual, no person. It is um, in the future tense. No one will be justified or declared righteous. Uh, And it is in the passive voice. So it won't be pronounced upon them. And it's also in the indicative mood, which just means it's a big old fact. Okay, what is he saying? Here's what he's getting at here. No individual should expect to be declared righteous at some point in the future because of what they've done in their life. Following rules, whatever. No, none of us should say, in the end, it'll all balance out. The good will outweigh the bad. You can't say that. That's not how it works. So we cannot be trusting in the things that we're doing. And we also cannot expect that at some point we'll we'll get there. You ready for the good news? Here we go. Uh, look at the second appearance now. And the first thing I want you to realize about this, look at this, I love this, I want you looking at the text, you've got to see this, ready? Uh, the second verse, uh, second sentence in verse 16. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. First thing you've got to see is you can't get to justification without going through Christ. See how Paul did that? That's why he did that. You cannot get to justification without going through Jesus. I love the Bible. Here we go. Okay, now let me parse this for you. Alright, first person plural. That's why he says we, okay? We who have faith. All right. It's in the aorist tense, which is a past tense with ongoing effects. Just plain old past tense as I went to the mall. I'm not still there because you can see me. Here's an aorist verb. I was born. Still here, right? I think. Be awkward. Um, okay. So you're with me, right? Okay. It's, it's happened in the past, but it has like ongoing permanent effects. All right. Moving along. It's in the passive voice. It's done to us. And it's in the subjunctive mood. Uh, the subjunctive mood is tricky. It also teaches fact, but it does it in a way that we see here in the New Testament. You see from time to time so that this might happen or so that we may something or other. And in this very verse, it says so that we may be justified. OK, when you and I say be" or might, I might call you, you know, there's there's a there's a uh, uh, potential there. It's not a definite thing. But the subjunctive mood is the words might and may are used, but to say a fact, it has sort of an if-then type situation. If I drop a ball, then it hits the ground because of gravity. Okay? And so you put all that together, and what do you have? The gospel. Look at this. This is what we're seeing here. Paul is saying those of us who have put our faith in Christ have already been permanently declared to be righteous. And we receive that righteous status by faith. By believing it. By believing that Jesus did what he did for us. Those of us who believe, we've already been justified permanently. Declared righteous. If you believe your status with God is righteous. Jesus' death permanently removed all your past, present, and future unrighteousness or sin, and it also transferred, he transferred from him to us all of his righteousness that he earned in his life. This is why elsewhere in Romans 4.25, Paul says that Jesus was delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. Here's the good news. Do you know when you were justified? If you believe you were justified when Jesus Christ triumphantly rose from the grave... Okay, that's when you were justified. Permanently. That's good news. Righteousness is ours simply by believing. If we believe it, it is ours. Is your chair holding you up because you believe it will? Or because it can? And when you sat in it, what you believed... To be true, you realized, is true. Just like your chair's been sitting here all week waiting for you to come and sit here while you look and listen to the word of God, your justification has been sitting there waiting for you since Christ rose from the grave. And when you believe it, it's yours. I know some of you are wanting to say amen. I can hear the little ones. Go ahead. This is good news. This is good news. Okay we got to keep going or we're going to be here all day. And I don't have a problem with that, but you probably do. Okay. All right. If you believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins and give you his righteousness, whether you feel like it or not, you need to know you are, in. when God looks at you, you're standing with him, your status is righteous. This is huge because it sets us free. It sets us free from the other things that Paul has mentioned when he uh, wrote the verb justify these other ways. Namely, it sets us free from feeling like we've always got to be doing things. we got to be doing the right things or God doesn't love us or we're not righteous. We're wrong in God's eyes. We've got to be doing this stuff. It sets you free from that. It's gone. Because you're not righteous. You're not declared righteous because of what you're doing. And it also sets you free from the fear that it's not going to pan out in the end. From worrying that one day it'll be shown to really be wrong and not good enough. You don't have to worry about that. That fear is gone too. Because if you believe, you've already been permanently justified by Christ. That's good news. Now, that's chronology, chronological order, justification, then faith. Okay? Uh, And we... We can, uh, we'll can we flesh that out even more as we look at the rest of this book, as well as uh, other places. Now, um, that presents, if you think about it, a massive, massive challenge for the gospel. Look at 17. Paul says, if in while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? And then he says, absolutely not. Meganoita in Greek. Uh, and there's, this is something that Paul ran into quite a bit. Um, here's, here's when I, you know that you're starting to get it or that you already do. Uh, if, when, when this question comes to your mind, if that's true, if Jesus really has paid for all my sin, past, present, and future, and I don't contribute anything to my righteousness, that's a free gift too, uh, then why would I stop sinning? Why would I try to change my life at all? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a good challenge for the gospel. And we would imagine Paul got this a lot because every time he's sort of fleshing out this uh, doctrine, uh, he, he, he addresses this question. That's what he does here. Does Christ promote sin? In other words, did he die for us so that we can just keep on sinning? In Romans 5, actually 3, 4, actually 1, 3, Okay, the entire book of Romans is teaching about um, the doctrine of justification by faith as well. But in 3, 4, and 5, he's really ramping up and really stressing what it means and how we receive it. And then he knows he knows what people are going to ask. Because by the time he wrote that down, he'd been asked this several times when uh, he had preached the gospel. And the question was, well, should we keep on sinning? So in uh, Romans 6, he begins Romans 6 like this. He says... Um, what then shall we say that uh, are we to, to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's the same type of question, okay? Now, look at how he answers. Oh, man. Uh, 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I prove that I am a law breaker. Think about that. If I rebuild what I just tore down, that makes me a lawbreaker. Here's what he's getting at. You expect when somebody says to us, Hey, if you believe that the gospel is true, then that means that Jesus paid for all your sins and you get all his righteousness. And that prompts the question, Well, why should I stop sinning then? We assume that the answer would be, Oh, well, because if you, uh, if you don't stop sinning, then you lose that justification. But Paul says listen, I just got done tearing down this doctrine of being declared righteous because of what you do. I'm not going to build it back up. Paul doesn't follow gospel with law. He follows gospel with gospel. Look. uh, Look at 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Paul realized some things about the law when he became a Christian, when when Jesus revealed these things to him. He revealed to him some things about the law and something about himself. Number one, uh, look, uh, um, number one, the law cannot... Provide righteousness. This is one of the things that Paul realized. He cannot be right. He cannot be righteous by the law because he's already failed. And there's a reality that the only way you can have righteousness is if you're perfect. If you perfectly obey the law. If you break one, you might as well have broken them all. It's like if we had a test. We're not going to. It's okay. School's out. But if we had a test and there was 100 questions and passing was 100% and you missed one You pass or fail, you fail. God's laws, there's lots of them. You miss one, you fail. So Paul realizes that about the law. The law actually cannot provide righteousness for him. So then the other thing he realized is that Paul could not get from the law that which he wanted from the law, which was righteousness. Then we see... In this verse, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live, so that I would definitely live for God. Paul realized, and we need to realize, that Paul realized everything that he ever really wanted, all of what really was driving him was to get to that point where he felt like he had rightness, righteousness. Okay, And therefore, everything he had ever done had really truly been for himself. even all the good things he did. And he obeyed the law in you know, the, the Old Testament. I mean, there's, there's a couple places in his letters where he gives a pretty sweet religious resume, okay? One that if you thought God was going to declare people righteous on account of what they do, that Paul would definitely be in. But in Philippians 3, he says, I count that all as loss. Because he was doing it for himself. He wasn't doing it for God And realizing this uh, shocked him. Uh, He didn't love God. He just wanted righteousness from him. He just didn't want his judgment. I would imagine um, that there are no people in this room who like to be used. Okay? And here's an example, and I'm sure you've been through something recently, so I won't give you an example from me. I'll just let you think of one of you. You don't have to share it with your neighbor. That would be awkward. Um, but basically, when is the last time somebody came and did something real nice for you, and you're kind of like, oh, that's so sweet? And then it's, while you're enjoying this nice thing, they go, hey, by the way, <laughs> I need a favor. And then it hits. Oh, that wasn't for me. That was for them. They don't want me. They don't love me. They, want, they just want something I have. That's what Paul realized about his entire life. He didn't want God. He didn't love God. He was living for himself. He was living to get that title of righteousness. And so now he uh, was sick over it. And so we need to see this too. Uh, the, the reality is another thing he realized. Here's what he also realized. And this is why he's been trying to, he's been chipping away at this idea that there's a difference between Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles. He wants that line erased. Talks about this a lot in his writing because he wants us all to see that no matter who we are, we're all sinners. We're all doing something called sin. And here's the thing. What he realized is that trying to be righteous or earn righteousness by following the rules is really no different than trying to be righteous by making up your own rules. It's still all sin because it's just all for you. So Paul realizes that either of these approaches, but particularly his that he was talking about, where he was trying to do these things so that he could be righteous, whether, whether or not he loved God wasn't the issue. It was, it, did he have that status? Uh, he, he realizes that this approach is 100% selfish and it also could never give him what he wanted And then he also, I think he realized, I think what we see here, what he says next, we realize that he realized what he deserved. When he realized that everything he's ever done has really just been for him, he realized what he deserved. And what do you think a person deserves if they've only ever done completely selfish things? Let's say that um, John decided to put a list of everything I've ever done on the screen. Don't do it. Okay? But let's say he did, and there was... Two columns. One, everything I've ever did. And the second column is who it was done for. And as we looked, it said, Matt, 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 Matt. Okay. How would you feel about me then? Wouldn't want me to be your pastor, would you? Well, I am. Too bad you voted. Okay. So <laughs> here's the thing. When Paul realizes that, uh, it's, it's shocking to him, and he realizes some things. He realizes, I don't want to live to the law. I do want to live for someone else. I want to live for God. I want to live free from this desperate need for righteousness. I want that, but at the same time, I deserve to die. So how can we get both? How can we get what we deserve, but also be able to begin to live for someone other than ourselves? Verse 20. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Listen, believing the gospel changes us. It changes us from being people who love ourselves and live for ourselves to being people who are free to love God and live for God. Hallelujah. That is what the gospel does for us. When we realize that all of our forgiveness is because of Christ and all of our righteousness, what we desperately want to have. We've been given free in Christ. Now we are set free to really actually live for someone else. It changes us. It changes us. Let's walk through this. Look at this. He says, I was crucified with Christ. He says, I got what I deserve. It just didn't feel it. That's grace. I was crucified. I did die for this, but not really because Christ died in my place. His death is my death. He gives that to me too, not just his righteousness. So we we, we do die. We get what we deserve, but we just got it in Christ. And then uh, next up, he says, I no longer live. What he's saying is that old me... The one who was 100% selfish is dead now. I'm not him. To quote Reliant K, who I am hates who I've been. Okay, he's saying I'm not him anymore. We are not those people anymore. Once we have faith, we are a new creation, Paul says elsewhere. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. That's why he says Christ lives in me. That's how we begin to obey. That's how we begin to live for God is we look to Jesus and he both empowers us and teaches us how we live for the one who has redeemed us. How we live for the one who gave us the righteousness we could never earn on our own. He says... The life I live in the body, I live by faith. He's not listening to that old dead self anymore. He's not going to go by faith in himself. He's going to trust Jesus. Jesus, you teach me how to live for God. Jesus, you tell me what's right and wrong. Jesus, I want to become more like you. Because when we realize that Jesus... And this is it. Back to that verse. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is so key because when we realize that Jesus really did love us even though we were sinners and really did give himself for us. It empowers us to truly love him and give ourselves for him and serve him because we love him, not because we want something from him. See, God declares us righteous in Christ, not just so that we're forgiven, but so also that he can get rid of that issue we have with needing righteousness so that we can actually really love him. Set us free to really love our creator fear of judgment is gone. And it also begins this journey in which we become bit by bit more like Jesus, who was, by the way, the only human being who was ever 100% selfless. Jesus didn't do anything for him. He did everything for you. And for me, think about this. Jesus, was uh, he's always been the eternal son of God, member of the Trinity, had everything he could ever want or ask for. He did not need to come to earth and live a life here and be born in a stable and grow up and suffer ridicule and do all these things. He didn't need to do that. He did it for us. He wasn't living for him. He was living for us. He certainly didn't need to do all these righteous deeds, all this righteous acts, all this righteousness and build it up. And so he could present it to God for himself he always had righteousness. He did that for you. He did that for me. And he certainly didn't need to die on a tree outside Jerusalem. He certainly didn't need to suffer the wrath of God and be punished for our unrighteousness. He had no unrighteousness of his own. He didn't do that for himself. He did it for you. And he did it for me and when we embrace the fact that Jesus did everything he ever did for us it changes us into people who long to do everything we ever do for him if you don't have that longing you have not really truly embraced him yet you're still, you're still trying to get right by making up the rules or following some rules but if you believe and you just have this even this this you know even if you fail a lot but hey if you just want to that's that's faith And God uses that, and He does change us. When you realize that somebody loves you and they've dealt with everything that would prevent them from loving you, it explodes you into loving them and wanting to live and serve them, live for and serve them. On a scale much lower than what we have with Jesus, I want to tell you uh, one of the scariest moments of my life and one of the favorite moments I have about my wife. And I did ask her for permission this time. Um, Okay, almost done here. I know this is going long. Um, When I met Hannah, our first date, we went on a walk in a garden. And and it was wonderful and and beautiful. But as we were walking, uh, we were in college, and I said to her, hey, what do you want to do when you graduate? And she said, be a mom. And I said, is there a ring store uh, nearby? Because that uh, was what I was excited about. But, um, so I knew that. I also knew something else. I knew that when I was 16, a doctor informed me that I have a condition that some men have, which makes it generally hard to have children. And so as we moved towards engagement, I knew that one day I was going to have to tell her, I may not be able to have children. You may not be able to be a mom. Spoiler alert, we have three. So, okay, you know, doctors don't know everything. Um, but I want, I want to bring you into that moment where I uh, I, I knew I needed to, she needed to know this, okay, because um, she was choosing to marry me. She needed to know she was choosing to marry someone that she may not be able to uh, have kids with. And so uh, I sat her down, and I, I said, hey, um, I, I know uh, how much you want to be a mom, and so this is hard for me to tell you, but... Um, uh, When I was 16, I found out that I have a condition some men have and I actually may not be able to have kids And it was like the scariest Moment of my life, but it was only a second because without missing a beat. She said, oh, well, we'll just adopt And like I don't know if they were real, but I was seeing fireworks and all sorts of amazing stuff happen. I'm like, this woman is not going to let something that's wrong with me stop her from loving me and committing to me fully. And that is what we see in the gospel. In the gospel, we come to Christ and we say, there's stuff wrong with me, Jesus. And he says, I took care of that. It's not going to stop me from committing fully to you. I have redeemed you. I love you. I always will. I paid for your sins and I gave you my righteousness before you ever took a breath. Something that's wrong with you won't stop me from loving you forever. And in the same way, in that moment, I wanted to live with and for and serve and make Hannah smile. When we see it happens with everything that's wrong with us, it makes us look to Jesus and say, I just want to do things that make you smile. What can I do? If Jesus paid it all and gave us his righteousness, why would we stop sinning? If we really understand the gospel, why wouldn't we want to stop? Why wouldn't we want him to make us like him? A person that truly lives fully for the sake of others. And that's the journey we're on, my friends. Because we have been declared righteous. And now our journey is simply learning how to be who we are. Let's pray. Father, uh, the magnitude of the accomplishment of your Son is so much uh, out of our ability to fully handle. Um, and so we just ask you to apply this continually Bring us back to you in worship. Bring us back to you in study of your word. Bring us back to you in serving you and continue to show us who we are because of Jesus. And let what has been done for us compel us and draw us out so that we would go tell people that we've got good news. And equip us day by day to take this good news to our neighbors and to the nations for the glory of Jesus Christ and in his name we pray. Amen.